This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. You know what happens when a child goes missing. An Amber Alert gets sent out to the general public, oftentimes through your phone, TV, radio stations, internet, etc. But what happens when a senior goes missing? Megan Gilmore is a reporter with Canadian Affairs, and Megan has a bit more perspective to share on this issue. Hey, good morning, Megan. Good morning, Dave. Megan, I think I understand this, but it's worth laying the groundwork. What's the intent behind Silver Alerts? Sure. So uh, exactly what you alluded to in the introduction there. A Silver Alert would be an alert that would be sent, broadcast out, when a senior or a vulnerable person, uh, particularly individuals who have developmental disabilities, um, are uh, when they go missing. So just some data about the need for this. In 2019, uh, Calgary police reported that multiple seniors, they, they got multiple calls a week about seniors going missing. Um, there's a good number of Canadians who are living with dementia, and that number is only set to rise. And for those uh, who uh, had a family member or a friend with dementia, you'll know like sundowning, people often go wandering uh, mm-hmm. later on in, mm-hmm. in the day. So it's really um, it's really been impressive. Uh, the call for this, the push for it, has also really come along with the conversations around, you know, more people are being diagnosed with dementia and more of them are living in the community, which is great. But then how do we make sure that these people are actually safe when they're living in the community? What is the current protocol for when a senior goes missing? Because obviously we don't have silver alerts in Canada. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be talking about this. Right. Okay. So the question of whether or not we have them or not gets a little tricky. So uh, there are some provinces that have changed their Missing Persons Act to include the word silver alert or to have something about um, a specific alert when a senior or a vulnerable adult goes missing. So Manitoba has quote unquote silver alert legislation. There's a bill in Ontario that's being like studied at a committee and it's been there like for a long time. Um, But just because you've changed a law and put the words silver alert or something like that in your law does not actually create the alert itself. Um, So the protocol is actually a little different depending on wherever you are. So, for example, in Manitoba, the Winnipeg police will put out what they call silver alerts when a senior goes missing. That's how it's described. But it's often like a, a social media post. And then there'll be like a story on CBC that it says, you know, Winnipeg police have issued a silver alert. It's not necessarily an alert coming to your phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's where it gets a little tricky. And BC, there was there is like a, a volunteer run type silver alert organization where they comb the uh, missing person alerts that come out and they send out alerts to people who have decided have told them I want alerts when a senior goes missing in my neighborhood. So it is different depending on where you are. There is no set protocol. There is no, according to Lily Liu, who's a researcher at the University of Waterloo, there is no publicly funded silver alert in Canada right now. Quebec just finished up a pilot project 
uh, last month, and we'll we'll see what the results of that were. But right now, it's a lot of like volunteers and people trying to raise awareness about this issue with their governments. What's the framework to create an effective yeah. silver alert system? Because, like you said, uh, there's a little bit of a hodgepodge going on right now. Mm-hmm. And one of the concerns that people have when you talk about this is. Take Amber Alerts that you mentioned. How many times, Dave, on this show have you done a segment about all the people who complain about the Amber Alert that woke them up in the middle of the night? Well, so I actually don't tolerate that kind of nonsense discourse because I think people should <laughs> act like adults and accept that your phone's going to buzz from some right, from time true. to time when there's a missing child. But, Megan, I know what you mean more broadly. The yeah. mass media as a whole loves to run with that talk show nonsense. Yes, it's true. It's true. Right. I forgot that you have a very highly principled stance on this issue, which I deeply appreciate. So the concern that researchers who work with older adults in particular have about silver alerts is the concern of alert fatigue, right? So many people, um, like you suddenly their loved ones, they're like, hey, like my person has gone missing. And then what if we put out an alert, but then this person is found? shortly thereafter, like this is just going, people will be getting a lot of alerts and they may not be helpful. So the ideal uh, version when you talk to researchers about this is they, if there's going to be a silver alert, they would say it needs to be something that is geographically specific. Mm. So only individuals in the area where somebody was last reported seen um, get the alert. One of the reasons for that is, is according to one individual I spoke to in BC, um, especially for individuals with dementia, when they're reported missing, they are often found within a 10 to 13 kilometer radius of where they were last seen. So it's a really specifically defined geographic area. They also will typically just walk in a straight line. Like their Mm, patterns mm -hmm. of behavior when they're lost are different from other people. So that's one of the reasons why you want it to be geographically targeted so that you get the most effective response. And then some people have said, you know, if we're going to do this, great. Like more eyes, ears, feet on the ground is best, but make it voluntary. So if I, you know, if I wanted to be a person who's like, hey, I would like to be alerted if there's a senior or a vulnerable adult missing in my area so I can help find them, I would opt into it and it gets sent to me so that it's not being sent to people who are just going to be grumpy. And then there's a concern that that's just going to increase the negative attitudes that some people already have about seniors or people living with dementia. Yeah, the, the the trash narrative that I have accepted while talking about uh, about Amber Alerts on the show is, what does it matter as a blind person if I know that a child is missing? This description doesn't help me at all. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I, I get the descriptions. I'm like, oh, that's good for me to know. Um, but I do always wonder yeah. what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, 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 there you go. There's me There's me finding my own trash narrative in the conversation. Uh, Megan, what about alternatives? And I think one of the things yeah. you'll probably talk about here is the subject of the daily poll. So I'll ask you the daily poll oh. after you lay out some of the alternatives. Okay, so clearly we don't want our seniors or adults with developmental disabilities to get lost and go missing, right? Like that's actually prevention is is the best strategy. So one of the things that will come up is um, having like a GPS type tracker on somebody, even if it's just like like an Apple uh, device that has, or another smartphone device that has, has a GPS tracker. There are some things you need to be aware of that in terms of like consent 
And did, did an adult give you consent to be tracking their location? How do you determine consent when somebody has dementia? So um, individuals who work in that would say, you know, it's best just to have this conversation early, early in, in, in your time with the disease and also to frame it in a very positive way. Like, I want you to be able to do the things that you like to do and I want you to be able to walk around independently and safely. And that means like we need a way to find you. Um, when when you're missing. There's also a project, a company called Project Lifesaver uh, that does something kind of similarly uh, that's particularly helpful for people with autism uh, or autistic people and their families. Um, and then there's also vulnerable person registries, which I know a lot of community reporters have come on and talked about on this show throughout the years. So if you have an adult in your family who is living with a developmental disability or, or some form of dementia, calling in and having them be part of the vulnerable person registry. So that way, if you're contacting the police to say, hey, we can no longer find our loved one, they can contact the vulnerable person registry and it just speeds up the process and helps people know who they're looking for mm -hmm. and what they need. Mm -hmm. So often like when people with dementia are reported missing, they are found by friends, family, concerned neighbors uh, before there needs to be a big search which is good. That's what we want. So it's just ways of getting the community more involved and finding ways as a, as a family and as friends to keep your loved ones safe. Megan, you mentioned the GPS tracking, and that's something that's mm -hmm. not just used for vulnerable people or seniors with dementia or young children. This is something that people are voluntarily opting into in certain yep. scenarios. Uh, I, I, I'm forgetting I'm forgetting the name of the one particular software that a lot of people are using with I, in conjunction with iPhones, but mm -hmm. they'll go on vacation. They'll all opt into the software. They're sharing their locations with each other in case they get lost. So yeah. Megan, it begs the question, do you use GPS tracking software to share your location with friends and family at accessible media on x at accessible media inc on facebook all the time when traveling or never oh i think right now i'm at never um i would maybe do it some other times um the whole reason i got a white cane is because i had some very um significant instances of getting lost in my hometown that terrified my parents so I had to go get a white cane. So they might appreciate that. I don't know. Maybe it would just make them more worried. Like, oh, look, she's totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be more concerned if my parents had access to my location 24-7. Yeah, Although yeah, they'd be true. like, he hasn't moved in three days. Is he okay? Yeah, like, yeah, true, just hanging fine. out. Just hanging yeah, loose. Yeah. Just staycationing Mom, I over here. <laughs> but yeah, no, so right now I don't, although I do, I, I'm an iPhone user. I do have find my iPhone. I lost my phone a few months ago, right before I had to go to Arizona. And thankfully, because of that feature, it was able to be found before I had to board a plane. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. You see, there there are advantages out here If when we give away our personal data, even just a smidge. At Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. That's where you can vote on the daily poll. Megan, you've been looking into something else here on the work front, phonics-based learning, looking into some education stuff. Yeah. What, what were you looking at? Phonics is coming back, everybody. It is back in some places with a vengeance. So in December, uh, I believe it was, the Ontario Ministry of Education announced that explicit phonics education is coming back into kindergarten curriculums beginning in September 2025. There are teachers across the country that are pushing for more phonics. And a lot of this comes out of the Ontario Human Rights Commission's Right to Read uh, Inquiry Report that was released 
about two years ago now. And that said that we need to teach children phonics again um, to learn how to read. Uh, the Saskatchewan Human Rights Commission has come to similar conclusions. Uh, there's another report going on in Manitoba. And while these inquiries were started because students with dyslexia and other learning disabilities were saying like the way that we teach literacy is not helpful for us with these learning disabilities. This is discrimination on the basis of our disability. Um, the recommendations about how to improve literacy education are beneficial for everybody. So yeah, we're seeing again, more interest, more governments putting concerted energy into phonics education. Megan, at the core here, what's at issue? What's being taught instead of phonics that's proving to be such a, a potential discrimination? Right, yeah. So, at, well, there's several things at core, but one of the key questions is how do we teach children to read? What is the best way to do that? And there's some other philosophical questions in there, like, is there a direct connection between the letters in the alphabet and sounds? And phonics is about teaching you those connections between letters and letter groupings and the sounds that they make. I learned phonics. A lot of people learned phonics. I learned that Hooked on Phonics was invented in Canada. It's oh, wow. A Canadian invention. Yeah, yeah, go Canada. 1-800-ABCDEFG. Um, <laughs> there you go, there you go. It's blazed into your memory. Um, we need a part of our heritage commercial about that. But anyways, um, so what people have been taught instead of phonics in recent years is a method of uh, teaching kids literacy where they would say, you know, if you don't know, if you don't know what the word is, instead of sounding out the letters, look at like what does the what is the shape of the word can you guess what the word is by its shape can you look at the context of the sentence to see what it means is there a picture can you guess what the word might be from the picture in in the book which is more applicable for younger grades when you have more pictures in your books. Um, and in some cases, children were encouraged to skip over a word if they didn't know what it was or just to guess it like just point blank guess. And if the guess was maybe not the right word, but we captured the meaning of what we meant to say, in some cases, children would not be corrected. Uh, so there's been a lot of concerns about whether or not that gives in children, especially the skills to sound out to know words as they move on in their education. Right, building um, building vocabulary. Building, yeah, building vocabulary. What happens when you no longer have pictures in your books? Um, I thought the picture one was a really interesting example because I, I would tell people when I was interviewing, interviewing them, like, listen, I learned phonics. I feel like a dinosaur, uh, but I'm also like legally blind. So I'm really not sure how much this look at the picture concept would have always helped me. I just can picture a five-year-old Megan getting even more confused. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that that's an interesting conversation to have. Um, I, I know... I was really grateful I was, as I was doing this reporting that I had teachers who taught me phonics and taught me to read. And before I could clue into the fact that, oh, there's going to be some things in school that are harder for me because I can't see as well as everyone, I knew to read. And that yeah, gave me yeah. like confidence and a bit of a leg up later on.
Yeah, education is fluid, right? There's also been a lot of talk about reforming math curriculum, mm -hmm. that, that, yeah. that sometimes you're going to take some steps forward and say, this is a more modern way of approaching it. And then you can go 15 or 20 years and say, maybe that wasn't the best method. Education is yeah. always going to be fluid by its natures. But uh, you've, you've heard, certainly heard the province of Ontario talk about how they want to get back to basics in regards to the right. way they're handling education. Yeah, yeah, and there's like a lot of different things around that. A few things that people would say on the prophonic side is, first of all, it is backed up by science. So this isn't like a new phenomenon. Like we're just kind of going back to how like we know from the data that this is the best way on mass to teach children to read. They'd also point out that, you know, a lot of kids will learn to read without learning phonics, but there's going to be some kids who aren't going to be able to, and you need to also prepare the kids who did learn how to read without it about what are you going to do when you get to harder words and harder vocabulary when you move on in your education. Mm -hmm. Another thing they would say is no one is advocating that we go back to sitting in straight lines and filling out endless phonics workbooks for right, half of our right. school day. Like, no. Okay. So like you, like, yes, you need probably some workbook work, but it's not all that there's different ways to incorporate phonics education. And a lot of it is just exposing children to the different ways that words are used, mm -hmm. um, playing with them, like in the sandbox and in different things and having a conversation about what you're building with your blocks or the Play-Doh or Whatever mm -hmm. it is that you were doing, and having kids use their words, you, you can uh, utilize. So you can utilize. You can utilize an older teaching technique, but utilizing a new methodology to teach it. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, so that, that's what a lot of proponents of phonics. I'm, if you haven't guessed yet, I'm a big fan of phonics because I'm very grateful that I learned to read at, at, at a young age. Um, and yeah, like um, if you there, for example, there's the First Nations Yukon, Yukon First Nations School Board in, in the Yukon, um, the really new school board just started recently, but they've put a concerted effort into phonics education and it's mandatory that mm -hmm. there be a half hour phonics lesson every day for their students and their students also partly because it is a first nation school board. They, you know, they go out on the land and they go fishing and they go um harvesting berries and they have elders come in and they teach them different like cultural traditional first nations cultural things and then the kids are writing about those things as part of their literacy lesson right so there's a whole lot of different ways that you can bring literacy education into the classroom mm -hmm. in a way that is both scientifically backed and also fun and engaging and meaningful for your students <laughs> megan thank you for this have a great day talk to you in a couple of uh, weeks Yes. Yeah. Talk to you soon. That's Megan Gilmore, a reporter for Canadian Affairs. You can read Megan's work at CanadianAffairs.news, CanadianAffairs.news. Coming up after the break, there's a new festival in Toronto. Community reporter Mara Hutchinson tells you about the 2024 Glisten Festival. Keep giving this show a glisten. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, 
I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.